1: Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV Terms and restrictions apply.
2: Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, May 2nd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Eno looking more rested than usual for a Monday and... Are you caffeinated? You don't drink coffee. What did you do? Did you drink some of that mud water stuff that's been going around?
1: <laughs> no, it was just a good weekend. You know, took the kids to uh, the San Jose Giants, and uh, they did the bouncy houses and the throwing of the balls. And the, they were actually, you know, I... I I wasn't sure, like, one of the things I told them was it might be a little bit more fun than the Stanford games we go to because they do more things, like, in between uh, in between innings, they have more, like, sort of game-type things. And then I was worried that they weren't going to do fun ones that day because they do different ones all the time. And uh, they did hilarious ones because I think they're mostly hilarious, and the kids loved it. Like, one of them was a non-alcoholic run and beer chug. And uh, it was amazing because... Uh the the there was two dudes and a lady and the lady got to the table last and there was a guy who got there first. She opened it and chugged it and beat them both and then flipped the table and like <laughs> it was like Wah! and the whole crowd was like, Yay! <laughs> Yeah So uh that was pretty sweet and it just a, it's a fun overall experience because they they think about what it is uh to take your family to a game. So Cheap, t- cheaper tickets—you know, 30, 40 buck t- tickets. I mean, people might say that's more than they expect, but you know, I think you get what you pay. Like, it's good. Like, there's there, like there are bouncy houses, and there's like the games, like carnival type games, and the beer is pretty decent, and the tacos were good. So, uh, there's some barbecue, but I was making ribs that night, so I wasn't gonna gonna double up on the barbecue that day. But it was a good, a good day, a good weekend. Had to take them to see Sonic Two, which.
2: Sometimes you do things for your kids. I think that's, yeah, that's part of parenting. You, sometimes you, <laughs> you sit through movies that you don't want to watch or you rewatch things that you've seen 20 times already. I think that's the, when they're real little, that's that's the thing I gather from uh, from my brother with his kids.
1: Try not to let them see me checking the box scores
2: on my phone while during the movie. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a quiet thing to do. We're not disrupting someone else. We're enjoyment also of the like movie. the Are only you? people in the, in the
1: in there. So yeah, yeah you're okay then. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good good weekend. They they got some Magic the Gathering cards and uh, were screaming at me about you know what elementals or this or that they got in their pack. And so I think the kids had a really good time. We did some, and you know what, you know, one thing that's cool is they're getting back into. Uh, throwing and hitting. Nice. So a lot more catch, and I love catch. Yeah, That's Are awesome. you a
2: throw catch or play catch guy? I'm a play catch guy.
1: I'm a play catch guy.
2: People say throw catch. Mm. Have a catch. Have a catch is, you know, it's kind of an old expression designed for that specific purpose, but play catch is just the way people speak English generally when talking about that activity. Yeah, but I'm not. I am
1: not the foremost expert on the speaking of the English.
2: That's okay. We we enjoy learning uh, more about your process, and you know, it's as long as we're having fun while we're doing it. I think that's all that matters. We yeah. had a couple brats. We had some some beers over the weekend that's too. Right. So you came over. That was good. Yeah, we had a little chance to, to talk about some some of the stuff that actually made it under the rundown. I think some of the model versus re- the results stuff uh, actually came up because deception is a thing that might not be fully captured by things we're looking at but we're going to talk about hitters today that have struggled through the first month and one day of the season Uh, because we get a lot of questions that are basically what's wrong with this guy and what's wrong with this other guy so we've compiled a list of some of the biggest underperforming hitters we're going to run through and see if there's anything that's Alarming for the long term, how much the expectations might have changed in some of these cases. We'll talk about some of the fallout from rosters shrinking down. It's a lot of players getting moved. Uh, Robinson Cano was DFA'd. Josh Lowe was optioned. Willie Calhoun was optioned. And now he wants to be traded, which I think I can understand, you know, given his trajectory in Texas. And a few other questions to get to over the course of the episode as well. So we'll go through this in a, a similar light with pitchers. Probably on the Thursday episode. So if you're saying, oh, I want, we want you to talk about pitchers that are broken, we'll get to them. We're going to keep it hitters and pitchers separate. I want to start with Marcus Simeon because I think of, of all the players I was looking at, he might be the, the earliest player ADP-wise that people are truly worried about. And something you said on the show probably two or three years ago, might have been the first year we were doing the show, is you said you looked at uh, O-swing percentages for hitters on – new teams with big contracts, and you saw pretty consistently, right? There's an, an increase. There's a, an aggressiveness that happens, at least initially, with those players. And it makes sense from a basic psychology perspective, right? You sign this massive contract, you go to a new team, and you just want to prove, I deserve this. I earned this. I can I can be that player. I can be the seven-year, $175 million player that you think I am. And I think that definitely is happening right now with Marcus Simeon. When you look at his O-swing percentage at 33.6%, it's easily the highest it's ever been since he became a full-time player. It's up about 8 percentage points over last year. And there's something off in the underlying numbers with how hard he's hitting the ball when he makes contact. The, the former doesn't worry me too much. The O-swing percentage being up is not as much of a concern as the significant drop in the quality of the contact when he makes contact strikeout and walk rates are about where they've been. Um, so how concerned would you be about Marcus Simeon if you had him on your roster already or if you were thinking about possibly trying to make some kind of buy low trade to get him?
1: Yeah, the the, the term that I came up with was pressing, you know, and, you know, I think that's. Describing what he's doing right now. And, you know, not only people with big new contracts on new teams, but people who are traded at the deadline. So I found that that was kind of uh, maybe a useful thing for teams, like to think about the fact that we're going to trade for this guy. We want him to have really good natural play discipline. If he's going to be worse, almost by, you know, at least not by definition, but like by, as a group, whoever we trade for at the trade deadline is going to be worse at play discipline <laughs> for whatever reason, for pressing, for maybe, you know, seeing new pitchers he hadn't seen all year, that sort of deal. Uh, but uh, it was Chris Davis and um, who was the, uh, Jay Bruce. Chris Davis and Jay Bruce were kind of my way in. They both uh, really pressed. Chris Davis really pressed when he came to Oakland and Jay uh, Jay Bruce who has a pretty good eye uh, pressed when he was uh, traded to the Mets, I believe. But you know, I see the same thing with Simeon, and I do think that they're kind of related. You know, um, if you're if you're reaching at at pitches outside the zone and you're making contact with those instead of the pitches you want to be making contact with, then you know that could be the cause of your lower hard hit rate. You know, I just talked. I'm doing a big piece about play discipline right now uh, that should come out this week, and I just talked to Juan Soto about it, and he was just like, "Dude, the, the if you hit the ball inside the zone, you get way better outcomes." And I mean, he didn't say, "Dude," and he didn't say it this way. But...
2: <laughs> We all wish that the conversation you had with Juan Soto was him talking like you to you. Yeah, that's not how that went down. Well, he was he was awesome actually.
1: Like he's, he was perfect for the piece. It was worth all the all the work uh, just to get three minutes with him. But he basically said, if you just see the difference between production on pitches inside the zone outside the zone, he said he didn't even. He's he's not like Brandon Nimmo where he was trained to to be an OBP god. Brandon Nimmo, his dad, is like throwing him colored balls and telling him to shout out what the color on the ball was and what the number on the ball. You know, Barry Bonds' this type of stuff where, like, you know, that's why he has great play discipline. Uh, Juan Soto, you may, not, may be surprised to hear, uh, just decided to be Juan Soto. <laughs>
2: Isn't that great? <laughs> like he's,
1: he said he was a free swinger. And then in high a he was like, oh, wait, that's what the production is on pitches inside the zone versus outside the zone? Okay, I'm not going to swing his pitches outside the zone. Bam, done.
2: <laughs> just, okay. It's just that easy. So I, I could just decide <laughs> that I'm going to be Morgan Freeman, and I'm just going <laughs> to narrate everything from now on. Like for the next 50 years, that's that's what I'm going to do, and I just decided one day that's what I was going to be. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: I, you know, that's why you see the higher swing strike rate for Marcus Simeon. I think that's probably the cause of his lower barrel rate, because if you look at the max exit velocity, which has never been really good for Simeon, it's right in line with where he's always been, you know, right on the line of, you know, I would say that he has, you know, 45, 50 raw power, maybe just 50, you know, it's not, you know, I know he hit 45 homers last year. But there you can do that with 50 raw power, especially on a peak season. And, uh, you know, if if max exit velocity is a good measure of raw power, then that would that would be around 50 raw power. Um, You're seeing the hard hit rate down, you're seeing the bail rate down. Uh, He's a compiler, though. And uh, maybe selling low makes sense, but I I don't see the dropping makes sense because I think he'll play all season. He'll have a, a better streak at some point where he settles down and isn't reaching as much, and chasing as much. And I I still think that like something like 2018 is possible, where he hits for the season 260 with 15 to 20 homers and 10 to 15 stolen bases. I know it's uh, not what you paid for, in terms of in the draft and it's not maybe what the rangers
2: were hoping for but still still a pretty good player the projections for the rest of the season are pretty consistent across the board when you look at all the stuff over at fan graphs i think the the bat x is where i keep going for in season rest of season numbers yeah, 247 like 319 427 is a slash line i'd still probably be on the over side of, of those numbers rest of the way. But even if that's what he is with 20 homers, 10 steals, plenty of runs and RBIs. Okay. Like you're, you're disappointed if you took him in the third or fourth round and that's what he did. But if he bounces back to that, it's also, that's not the reason why you fell short in the league this year. Like there's, there's enough to believe it's going to still come back around. I mean, he's swinging more at everything. And I think that will correct in the, the months ahead. I'd be very surprised if we talk about Semyon again in July and all these underlying swing metrics look identical to how they've looked so far.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, 180 power, 180 ISO right there from the Bad X is, would be like forty five fifty power in a, in, a, in a regular season, like in, in past seasons. Um, do you know what the ISO is right now
2: across the league? The league's ISO? Yeah. Like 130. Yeah, nice. Good call. 138. It's because I've looked at that page with the, the average OBP and the slug so many times. It's just yeah. it's committed to memory at this point.
1: 2019,
2: the I, the average league ISO
1: was 183. And that's including pitchers. Let me do non-pitchers. Wow. Yeah. Non-pitchers, it was 187 that year. So I like part of me is trained to look at a 180 ISO and say, okay, that's league average power. You know? Mm-hmm um but it it is worth discussing the, the you know the humidor, the ball the fact that 138 um you know like the april let's look at the april uh numbers for 2021 for iso we had a 161 so it's i mean it's definitely down and uh and i will say that i know that these people that are modeling these these projection systems, you know, they're all talking to each other and they're all they're all trying to figure out how much to change the run environment right now. And it's not it's not entirely not entirely clear. So my point is that if Simeon doesn't hit 20 homers, then it's mostly because the whole league is not going to their expectations. Like for example, you cannot use XWobo right now for a single player because first of all it's not that amazing but it is it does have some predictive power for batters but right now they have to wait to a certain point in order to adjust it they always adjust the x wooba for the season that they're in once they they think they know enough about the run environment and they haven't done that yet because it's such a crazy year and we don't we don't know what the run environment's going to look like they don't want to adjust it so that you know, basically 130 is the average ISO. And then the humidors kick in and start drying the balls out. And and August is a crazy month for power, you know? So uh, everyone's sort of, you know, trying to figure this out. I'm not saying that ball and humidor is why Simeon has no power. I'm just saying that, like, if he hits 15 more homers the rest of the season, it might not be because of, you know, a failure on his part. It may just be a combination of ball
2: and bad season for him. Yeah, I mean that's a huge drop though compared to where he was. I realized forty five last year. We had the max volume problem with Marcus Simeon again, and that's a good problem. Yeah, seven hundred and twenty four plate appearances last year. I mean, the last three full seasons we've had, he's only failed to play in three total games. So you've you've gone over (laughs) seven hundred plate appearances in each of the last three full seasons. Even if you're adjusting down for that you'd say, okay, maybe it's a low 30s home run total with normal injury risk baked in. Well, you change the ball, you add a couple of of things early on in the season that make him different. It it starts to compound pretty fast. So it sounds like you're you're mostly on that projection that I threw out there with maybe a little less power. I think the 20 home runs is something you're pretty skeptical of at this point for a rest of season power number for him.
1: I mean, we're looking at, uh, let's see here, 70 balls in play for him because he puts balls in play. So this 4% barrel rate that he's got right now, you know, it's it's more signal than noise. And he's had 4% barrel rates in the past. That's why I point out, he had this exact same barrel rate in 2018 when he hit 15 homers. And that was before the rabbit ball. So, you know, 2019 rabbit ball, 33 homers. 2021, you know, not the rabbit ball, but also Dunedin and Buffalo. So he had some park assistance last year that he does not have now.
2: I mean, it'd be weird if he was the perfect storm of the unusual circumstances of Toronto's 2021 and the 2019 <laughs> rabbit ball spiking up that home, that home run total to 33. He had 27 way back in 2016, though. Marcus Simeon's always been uh, a bit of a challenging player to completely, yeah. completely solve. Look how up
1: and down he's been. I mean, he always will get you about ten steals in a a full season, but you know he's been pretty up and down offensively. I I mean, I still think that it's not a bad signing uh, for Texas because if you like, it's funny how up and down he's been for fantasy because he's basically been league average offensively, except for the two big seasons every every year. So if you get a guy you're like, hey, he works really hard. Uh, He's he's got good defense. He's gonna be uh, worst case scenario league average bat. Then you feel like you're you've you've acquired someone who has a high floor and you've obviously seen high ceilings from him, and uh, and you like his durability. So if he's only like a two to three win player for the next uh, three to four years, uh, I mean,
2: that wouldn't be good for the contract, but the Rangers might take it. It's not ideal, but it doesn't hurt you as much as you might think, right? The big numbers on the contract make you think a little differently about what you should get in return. But what you need to get in return is about what you described when you're talking about what Simeon's contract looks like. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get
3: a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick Sporting Goods.
2: Let's get to Whit Merrifield for a moment. I've looked at his profile, and I think the only thing wrong with Whit Merrifield is that he's on a few of my rosters, and that's why he's underperforming. (laughs) There's really nothing in the underlying numbers that scares me, though. He's still keeping the K rate under 15%, walking about the same as usual, actually making hard contact at a good clip more than he has at any point during his career. I I think this, to me, is just a slow start for, for a guy that will be fine as soon as he has a little better luck on balls and play.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm not too worried. I mean, the, the league, the the swing strike rate being the worst of his career is not great, but the strikeout rate that's associated with it is right in line with his career numbers. So maybe it's not that big a
2: deal. I don't think he's a very good hitter. Yeah, I've never liked the profile as a hitter, but I think he's still going to play a ton, still going to run. So I don't know. Three, three, is it three attempts? Let me see. Here. He's three for three through 20 three games. For thing. You can't steal so base when you're not on base. He's got a 213 yeah. OVP so far. <laughs>
1: that's right. But if it's, if it's only 3-for-3 three three in the first month, then what if he only steals you you know 22 bags this year? So it now you're talking about a guy who might end the season 260, 22 bags, five homers? Don't put that's that like, on me. What, that's what people wanted out of Nicky Lopez. Ah, come on now.
2: What? No, that's fair. Uh, it's, okay.
1: that's... <laughs> I just, it's not nice. I'm sorry, but, you know... I I I have zero shares. I have uh, I did not want to pay. I I just I you know I've said on this on this cast. I if I do have a bias, sometimes it's towards like what major league teams are looking for and like what and and what is a good hitter for a major league team because I do think that baseball teams tend trend towards making those same decisions. They're making the right decisions that way, right? Like we don't have a lot of old school teams. The Royals are like the closest to an old school team that would, you know, would value Whit Merrifield highly, give him an extension, and uh, you know, I'm sure that, you know, other most other teams around the league would would have treated it differently. Would have probably traded him away at this point.
2: Yeah. Well they got him in such a team-friendly deal, it just doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt them at all, even if they were to somehow reduce his playing time. But I've seen it before looking back at some of his month-by-month splits. He played 31 games last year, and they obviously lumped September and October together on fan graphs, so it's a little extra. But two for three as a base stealer that month. Last July, five for five in 24 games. I mean, it, sometimes these Oh, does he just, just have big right. months? Yeah, yeah. He hit some sevens, eights, had an 11, 11 steals a, last August. interesting.
1: So. Maybe it has to do with uh, who, he's, who he's facing. Yeah. Uh, because supposedly uh, stolen base attempts are,
2: are kind of uh, become meaningful early. Yeah, I guess I'm. I'm not looking at anything with that organization from that perspective, and believing they've changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you would change with a player like Whit Merrifield anyway. Like if they were really changing, he would be traded because they well mm-hmm. oh, we're not going to do this anymore. So let's trade him away to a team that actually wants to let him be himself. So not worried about Whit Merrifield whatsoever. Um, I'm curious about Randy Arena though. I think he's the type of player. Who, because of his approach, we've talked about his willingness to swing a lot of pitches outside the zone in the past. I think that makes him very susceptible to highs and lows. It's just the the type Mm -hmm. of player. He is a little bit of a free swinger. Walk rates down early. K rates in line with career norms. But a 35.2% O swing percentage would be the highest of his career by a margin about as much as Marcus Simeon's O swing percentage is up right now. Tons of ground balls. Right now for Randy Arosa Arena mm. as well. Uh, his projections point to a 245 average from the bad X the rest of the way. 15 homers, 17 steals. Are you comfortable trying to move for him right now expecting something like that? The projections also have him striking out less than he has struck out since the start of 2020 the rest of the way. And I'm just not sure where that's coming from.
1: Uh, because he's struck out 28% of the time in every season he's been in the big leagues. And yet everyone's projecting him to strike out less. That is weird, huh? And he's 27. It's not like it's an aging curve thing.
2: Is there a little bit of the early 2019, like the debut with the Cardinals cooked in there? And then, yeah, minor league track record. This is, That's weird to me. I think he's going to strike out a
1: lot. Uh, the There is an interesting piece of thing we haven't talked about, a piece of research and evidence that we haven't talked about in a while, which is volatility. And Bill Petty had this idea of uh, sort of tracking a player's volatility. And you can just look at sort of the, you know, if you look at those rolling graphs with the, with you know, with weight on base average OPS, whatever, you can see the kind of, you know, the, the, the peaks and valleys. Yeah, the amplitude. The amplitude, basically, right. And, um, you know, you did some research on that. I found, he, I, found uh, I asked him to do an aging curve on that. And what was amazing was that players over time are less volatile. They, which means that they have lower peaks and that's what we associate with uh, aging but also the players that stick around have higher floors right um, but how does that uh then the other the, the other finding from volatility uh, was that strikeout rate is so, so associated with positively correlated with volatility so you know you know having a high strikeout rate, leads to volatility and i think you can understand it in one way which is just a basically this is how we define productivity and of course they have they have bad days because what you're talking about is when he's striking out and not making contact he's very bad right yeah um and then the then when he uh, you know when he does make the high hard contact he's productive for your team like it's almost by definition um you know strikeout guys are going to be volatile but he doesn't add the walks, so he doesn't add like a, you know, a level of okay. Well, at least he's taking his walks right now. At least he has a 310 OBP or something, you know. Uh, so he's super volatile. But how do you treat that in a projection system, knowing this guy's volatile? Because maybe this is just his really bad stretch, and then he's gonna have another Randy stretch, right? <laughs>
2: I think this is one of these things. I I pull up uh, charts like the one. It's on screen right now if you're watching us on YouTube. And it's the 15-game rolling WOBA. Oh, I was just going to play there. Yeah, there you go. So it's up on the screen right now. And it's when does this chart scare you? If you're looking at a Rosarena, you know, you see a nice spike kind of in the second half of last year. And you see a few dips that are pretty similar. You see two dips from last season. Very similar to the dip that he's in right now, so this is in the range of, of normal, air quotes, I guess you could say. But I don't know. Like I, I think when I see more valleys than than peaks, I start to get a little bit worried, and I think this would be a case where I'm I'm more worried than optimistic, even understanding the type of player, having a what I think is a pretty good understanding of the type of player that Randy a a is.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I put uh, ground ball rate up on that one, uh, on the same graph. And the peaks in his ground ball rate almost exactly map for his troughs, nadirs. So
2: when he's struggling, it's because he's hitting the ball on the ground, largely.
1: Yeah. So you see that first uh, that first sort of, that post-2020 uh, hype, the beginning of 2021, that little... You know, down, downward spike there. Mm-hmm. That uh, is the other time that he hit sixty percent ground ball rates. Then that next uh, nadir, that's the, really the bottom, where in game eighty of twenty twenty one. That's when he was hitting fifty five percent ground balls, and now he's hitting sixty five percent ground balls. He's in another trough. So, uh, the when I liked him. It was because I thought he had. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Look at that on the fly. So you see what I'm saying, right? There is a. You know, I, my my theory is not one thousand percent correct because of this this area here in game 140 where he was hitting some ground balls and was being productive. But my my Randy Rosarena theory is that he has basically a swing for power at the top of the zone, and then he has a swing that he can make contact at the bottom of the zone. And you know, if he could, if he could toggle that switch at the right times then he can have like that postseason run right because then he's doing the he's he's hitting the at the top of the zone for power and he's doing just enough at the bottom of the zone so they feel like they have to go to the top of the zone right but right now for whatever reason they're just they don't feel like they have to give him anything at the top of the zone maybe maybe he's reaching at pitches outside the top of the zone right so they don't have to come into a good spot at the top of the zone and they're just throwing him Fastball is way above
2: the plate and breaking ball is super low, and he's, he's not doing enough on either. His pull rate has spiked as well. He's up over 50% with his pull rate. Normally, he's closer to the low 40%, 42% for his career now as a big league hitter. So I don't know. Just the, with the volatility, though, it's, just, it's a weird part where I'm like, yeah, man, he could just get hot.
1: We've seen it. Do you think that it's, it's over? Like the, raw, the max EV is the best it's ever been. Like
2: the raw power is still there. I don't think it's over. It's like, it's like over. an approach problem. I, I think I think th- I think what you're seeing right now is a good explanation in why the projections are not buying the average in particular. I think mm-hmm. well I think volatile player I think low average because at least a low average potential and the projection systems are sitting in the t- mid two forties to low two fifties range for Randy Rosarana that makes sense for me. Yeah, 15 homers the rest of the way. No argument there. He's been running. I think he's the kind of player that as long as he's healthy, he runs. He's three for three this season at 20 bags last year. I'm buying the rest of season numbers with more Ks than are projected because I I think 28% is – the true talent strikeout That's, rate geez, that like he's showing. That yeah, seems very clear to me. So I just.
1: 28, 28, 28. You know, so I guess years if you.
2: Maybe you got to dial the average projection down a little from what the projections are spinning out. maybe. Yeah, but I think it's 230, 240 with good power, good speed, and, and good counting stats. And Unless we think there's some kind of path for him to lose playing time, they have plenty of talent. He's not the kind of player that they're so committed to long term because they don't really have players like that where it's impossible. But I think he'd have to play like this for another thirty games before it would actually start to cost him significant playing time.
1: Yeah, I mean they need him. It, you know, it it strikes me as a, a, it's interesting. I think that all three players that we've talked about so far are are buy lows, but not not buy lows like oh, I'm going to buy you know the two eighty twenty twenty version. I'm going to pay that much for him, right? I think that one's that's out the window. Like with with, with Merrifield, I'm not buying him at, you know, two hundred ninety three hundred and thirty-five homers. If that's the price, I'm out. But if I can buy at these lower numbers, at the projected numbers, for all three of these players, I feel like you're still especially if you need steals. Yeah. Like I think this is a decent time to go buy any of these three guys because I think they will all three of them end up with you know, I think maybe Simeon's only sort of 10 to 12 steals, but, you know, if you want to group them as a group, 12 to 25, 15 to 25 steals, you know, as maybe, maybe it's an average for the three of them, around 20 steals. That's useful. A lot of people are looking for steals. You know, I, I would buy these three guys. But I wouldn't want to buy it at preseason prices. Like, they would have to
2: come down off of whatever they were expecting uh, out of these people. yeah, The draft day equivalent is not what you're going to send back as part of a swap to get any of those players. I would say of the three, the one who's most likely to hit his initial projection is still Merrifield for me. Yeah. Of those three.
1: Yeah, he's not just not striking out. And he was never a guy that was about power. So, you know, if you're worried about the power, like, you know, he was projected for seven for some of these, seven homers for some of these guys, you know. From some of these projection systems,
2: we're on pace for like a two hour episode, so uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 turn it up. Come on, Catel Marte, what's going on with him? K rates way up at 25.5%, walking less than we're accustomed to.
1: This is the one I might not buy low. The, uh, nothing looks good. He's not hitting the ball hard, uh, his, his hard hit rate is down, his bail rate is down, his max EV is down seven miles an hour. We in max EV is one of those things where it's not necessarily bad if he hasn't shown it yet. But he's got 63 balls in play and he hasn't hit one over 110. This is the guy that used to regularly do that, you know? So I'm just not seeing it. The the K rate is bad. The swing strike rate is bad. The reach rate is worse than it's ever been. Like, I don't think I'm buying him because, and what part of it is, he's not going to give you any steals. So if he's not going to give you steals and you're not sure about the home run, I mean the the average at 26, percent I'm not sure about the average anymore. The projections are 270. What if he only hits 260 with 15 homers and three steals going forward? That's I'm not buying that. I I think this. I don't know if he's a dropper because he can still play second base, but uh, you
2: know, if somebody wants to buy him, I'm listening. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, a 10 team league player that you you really don't want to cut but i would say he's probably more in that Brian Reynolds group where you look at him and you're like this is just strange he shouldn't fall apart this quickly and it's but a he's a killer he's so far away from the core skills that we're used to and it's really killer in 15 team leagues where you're like well
1: yeah no 275 155 that would still play in my league i still i should keep him if he's going to do that and it's the same thing with Reynolds it's like okay i should probably keep him in a 15 team league because you know, even this reduced level of sort of 270, you know, 20 homers and three steals or four steals from Reynolds, that's still going to be that's still worthwhile of keeping in a in a 15 team league. But it also is just so hard because you're not getting that yet, and you still have to like wait for the mediocre numbers. <laughs> and you're looking at all these other guys out there that are like you have great numbers, like Eric Hosmer. Man, should I have Eric Hosmer on my team instead of tell Marte?
2: Don't do that to yourself. Just don't. Uh, I think Trent Grisham is kind of interesting right now because he, in the shortened season, showed some skills that maybe nobody expected. Right, The hard hit rate jumped during the shortened season. Barrel rate doubled over what we've seen throughout the rest of his time in the big leagues. He's underperforming even his normal barrel rate, his 19 and 21 barrel rates right now. So... A lot of questions about who he is as a player. Not surprisingly, worst hard hit rate of his career. He's still walking, and the K rate's not way out of bounds, but it is worse than it's been at any point during his time in the big leagues. Uh, Still doing well, though, with that O-swing percentage, and still giving us raw speed, sprint speeds in the 92nd percentile. So maybe there's a little bit of a, well, when you get on base at 292, you're not going to run as much, so some of the missing steals are there. I think there are fair questions to ask about Trent Grisham's power since 2020 wasn't a full season and nothing in his barrel rate has looked that good at any point since that season.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I if I see superstar potential. I did see superstar potential in him after 2020 just because the barrel rate was great. And even in a small sample season like that, you know, it was really great to see a 200 ISO from a guy who has a great eye and stolen bases. So I did you know, think that Grisham had superstar potential. But now we have three seasons of a basically average mediocre ish barrel rate. So I think that he's, you know, like a one seventy ISO, one sixty ISO guy. You know, I think that's I think that's just who he is. So I without him changing his approach and maybe going and getting the ball. Maybe he could do a Robbie Grossman-esque second part of his career where he goes and gets the ball up front and becomes more aggressive and then, you know, has a season where he hits 25, 30 homers uh, with this new approach. But he's not really showing that approach right now. And it's one of the weird places where I'd almost want the O-swing to go up because I'd want him to be more aggressive and try to hit for power. But as he is right now, I think that he can still be a guy who hits 235, 240, 330 on base percentage and you know maybe now only about 15 homers. And since he hasn't even attempted a steal, uh, I'm going to say maybe only 10 steals. Uh,
2: I think the steals are more likely to come back than the homers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really do. I, I think uh, as a lefty hitting in that ballpark too, I think that works against him a little bit. Much easier for a righty to hit home runs in San Diego, so I think that that fuels a little bit of the skepticism. Yeah, is he too passive? Is he is he too too willing to to work the count and, and end up and ends up in situations where you know, he just doesn't drive the ball because he's he's taking pitches he could hit. I, I really I don't know if that's the case there's there's just this there's this this interesting conundrum
1: at the intersection of plate discipline and power which is just that power exists mostly at the front of the plate in terms of i don't know if it's swing mechanics or if it's just you know how it's how it, well, how it happens maybe it's because that's where you pull fly balls is in front of the plate but in terms of hitting for power home runs exist in front of the plate and so you can actually despite the fact that you know, plate discipline is positively correlated with everything, power, you know, walk rate, production, you know, you know, swinging less is good for you as a hitter. Reaching, you know, chasing less is good for you as a hitter. There's this paradox where power still exists out in front of the plate. So the best players find a way to be aggressive selectively, right? And so, you know, to, to, to get the ball out in front once they swing. And so... The fact that he has such a great eye means that he's still a guy that could turn that switch and figure it out. That's why I mentioned Robbie Grossman, right? Robbie Grossman, this looks like Robbie Grossman before he had the power surge, right? Doesn't he kind of look like Robbie Grossman?
2: 100%. This is almost the same profile. Robbie Grossman stealing more bases early in his career. That's basically what Trent Grisham has been. If you were taking Robbie Grossman as a top 125, top 150 player earlier in his career. I guess the difference, though, is playing time. Grossman was always stuck on the small side of the platoon. Grisham's at least, as a lefty, on the big side of the platoon, so he catches more playing time, and that's why we keep thinking it can fall into place for him.
1: You know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, maybe in a different team with a different hitting coach or a new, in a new season, like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem likely that he's going to go undergo the Robbie Grossman um, in season, right? <laughs> like, he's just going to, like... Start being more aggressive this
2: ne- this next week, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right? So, more more of a player to get at a lower price in a future draft season than someone to try and get right now, hoping it's all going to fall back into place. So actually, a not a
1: terrible guy a if
2: you are like rebuilding or something in dynasty to maybe try and get, you know. Yeah, I think I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, let's talk about Jesse Winker for a moment. How about a one ninety seven, three forty, two thirty seven line to begin his time. In Seattle, uh, barrel rate way down from what we're accustomed to these last two seasons, at least uh, max exit velocity, not too far away, but a tick down from where it has been as well. But the good news, the K rate down at a career low walk rate up at a career best. So I think most people who have Jesse Winker on their team are looking at those numbers and saying he's coming back to expectations sooner rather than later, isn't he?
1: I think so. It's a, it's a really bad combination for him of the ball changing, the humidor situation, and going from one of the friendliest parks to one of the least friendly parks for offense. So, you know, uh, there's probably a lot of people taking victory laps, uh, talking about how far he fell in their projection systems or in their rankings. You know, once he was the trade was announced, uh, but he's not this bad. You know, he's I, I I I still see that raw power in the Max Exit though um I, I think that uh, there's there's still a certain amount of pressing that you know this could be reverse pressing <laughs> where he's just like I'm not gonna swing at anything until I feel comfortable. uh but the 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 bad news is that that underlying change in projections because of the park factors and everything still exists. So he still is probably more a 260 20 hitter uh, 20 homer hitter. Then, uh, maybe some realize.
0: The Old Man of the 3 is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man in the 3 ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move on to a
2: couple other names here. Franmil Reyes was one of the players we were asked about. What is happening with Franmil Reyes right now? I don't I, I
1: this is this is a little bit in the vein of the Rosarina like volatile player. Like isn't he a guy who just goes white hot at times? He doesn't incomplete approach at the plate and uh not great bat to ball skills but when he's going he's going to hit mammoth home runs and i i don't know i still think he can get to 30 homers this year
2: if you saw a chart of his rolling k percentage and it had never been worse before would that change anything about how you feel about a bounce back (laughs) yeah i mean a swing strike rate is pretty high too
1: um a little bit. It's unfortunate that his defense won't give him a spot in the lineup, even if he's struggling this bad. I mean, how much longer do does Cleveland give him before they start, I don't know, playing him only against lefties? That would be awful.
2: Uh, fair question. Don't think we're quite there yet, but uh, man, I'm looking at the multi-year by game. I just wanted to see how, how bad this K-rate is compared to his previous norm. oh yeah he's ne- he's never he's never reached this level with his k-rate before this is on the rolling chart uncharted territory on the the rolling graph for fran reyes's k-rate so yeah is it possible that he could bring it back down sure anything's possible but he's also not walking it just yeah. something's messed up something's very broken with him in a 10-team league probably droppable because i think you can find High At K percentage power guys, you can find yeah, that. Yeah,
1: 30 Like, yeah, there's got to be somebody we can we can come up with even that might be out there for you.
2: Maybe Max Muncy, our next guy. Well, yeah, Muncy, Muncy's Muncy got my attention because Max Muncy, based on rest of season WOBA projections, is one of the better hitters in the NL with the Bad X, and I'm I'm trying to make sure that. This isn't a case where Muncie's just not healthy because he had that elbow injury. And for me, one thing that would cause him to underperform his previous levels in terms of the quality of the contact he's making is if he's simply not healthy. As it stands right now, he's got his the lowest hard rate hit rate. Amazing. Lowest hard hit rate is a Dodger, but the barrel rate still where it needs to Max be. Max exit velo is the lowest it's been. Max exit velo's is down. Walking more. I, the, uh, this is the thing I worry about with... With a player like Muncy... I'd much rather have him than Reyes, though, dude. Oh, it's not even close because you're talking yeah. about a K-rate at 20% instead of one north of 40%. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I I guess the, the thing I don't know is can Max Muncy become fully healthy again on the fly in season? Or would he need an IL stint at some point? Or will he need more time off in the offseason? Or will off it just season? be like... He'll be better next year. <laughs> right. Those, those are the questions I, I, I'm not. So the I'm looking at Muncie and I think there's a good enough chance. He's fine because there's more, there's more stuff still intact than broken, but I'm also not buying in all the way at the, I just changed the entire fortune of my team because I got a, a top 12 hitter in the national league by Woba. I don't know if he's necessarily going to get all the way back for health reasons wanted to
1: check because i'm actually a little bit below where i want to be in in homers and power in in a lot of my leagues and this is relative to other people so it's not just the whole league being down like right i picked i picked i maybe picked a fair amount of guys that had had good power and speed right that was my approach was to like get like these 25 homer 10 stolen base guys a lot of those guys right maybe they are hurting more than the guys who have no doubt power so I, I and also given that the ball is the way it is i wanted to test the assertion that hey you if you want to get rid of frown mill you can there are other guys out there so i have loaded up our 10 team league uh the 3-0 show and in invitational uh, which is helpful for us because it's a 10 team league and i wanted to look at the best options on the wire real quick uh
2: to give a sense of what we might do wisdom yeah, Pat- Patrick Wisdom's like the prototypical strikes out too much, never had the Franmil Reyes level of success, but keeps playing and doing what he's doing despite this problem with the K-rate.
1: And might outdo him in, in any in a given season, you know, just because of whatever. Um, he's also striking out a ton, but at least he's hitting for power. Um, so no uh, on the IL. Um, Kepler is available in our league. And I would pick up Kepler maybe for Frommel. You get a couple more steals instead of homers. Uh, Voigt Santander... I still, I still believe in Voight to a certain extent. If he was coming off the IL and Frommel was still striking out forty-eight percent of the time, I think I might j- make the jump to Voight. I think Santander is a good one to pick up. I, you know that that park is gonna not gonna end up being the number one pitcher park in baseball. I know that there's some park factors out there that suggest that, but I just, <laughs> I think that's probably an overreaction to the to the first month. Um, so I don't know. Do you, is Seth Brown, Carlos Santana? Bobby Dahlbeck? Would you rather have Dahlbeck than Fran Dalbeck
2: Dahlbeck could lose time to Tristan Cassis. Like The way he has started, he's left the door open for Cassis to come up and play. And that does not bode well for Bobby Dahlbeck. I think I still, compared to most of those players, would rather wait and see with Fran Mil Reyes. Mm-hmm. A little longer, which could be to my detriment. I say this a lot. This is what bench spots are for. You don't want him in there right now. Great. You got five or six bench spots. You use one of your bench spots on friend Mil Reyes until he shows signs of life. Maybe look at the calendar and say, hey, he's got you know three matchups against lefties coming up in a particular week. Let's use him then. And then just try to be a little more selective about when he cracks your lineup as a result of what we're seeing right now. I mean, this this week, he's got one lefty, six games, one lefty next week. All righties. So you may have to wait it out a little while
1: i found one, I might, I might take over a front
2: Who's that? available
1: in our league? Rowdy. Mm, yes, Rowdy. He's not projected for 30 homers. He's only projected for 19. So you would be losing in, in projected homers. However, the Bat-X likes his power going forward more than any other projection system because the barrel rate is great. The Maxi V is great like everything looks pretty good uh, from a stat cast thing. So you'd be betting on someone who has green all over his stat cast and is striking out 19% of the time. Like you'd be betting on someone who's doing the things you're supposed to do in small samples really well. Yeah. As opposed to
2: the guy who has a 48% strikeout rate. I think you could justify that that sort of maneuver where available. Uh, last player I want to throw in for this conversation since this became most of the episode is Justin Turner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it happens sorry. sometimes, you know, no, it's it's there's a lot to, to dig into with, with these players. And I think with Justin Turner,
1: Turner is 37, 37. And there's something that Jeff Zimmerman found, which is a projected bounce backs for players over 33 years old are less reliable. And I think he was doing that on a season-to-season level, but I think that actually matters probably in season if it matters season-to-season, right? We haven't haven't had the research done for us, but like, you know, as much as all the projections say, yeah, he can still hit 270 with you know 18 more, 16, 18 more home runs going forward, and as much as the Bad X sees something about what he's done uh, that it likes to to give him a little bit more than that, uh, we have to agree that at
2: 37, those those projections are not as reliable anymore. Yeah, I'm looking at the the O-swing percentage right now uh, over time. It's hung up at a pretty high level for a while now, kind of going back to the second half of last season. That's a concern. It, it, this does look like it could be the beginning of the end for Justin Turner. And I, I think that means, that means different things to different people, so I, I should be more clear. I think it means Justin Turner might fall into more of a part-time role. I think it means by July 1st, we're talking about him as a guy that plays three or four times a week instead of five or six times a week. Is there someone else that's going to emerge to fully take over that job? Mm, I don't think so. Miguel Vargas, if he mashes at AAA, could come up and become more of a threat. But I think as they're currently constructed, Turner's going to have some chances to figure this out.
1: They'll give him some rope. I mean, Vargas is 22, and yeah, he's killing it again in uh, AAA. Uh, not quite as much as he did the last couple of uh, the last couple of stops. I don't. I th- that just doesn't seem to be how the Dodgers work, right? Oh, thank you, Justin Turner, for your service, and <laughs> uh, Miguel Vargas is now going to take your job.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, they. they... Max exit velocity lowest it's ever been for Turner so far. Barrel rate five percent lowest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. O swing percentage highest it's ever been. Yeah, so I mean none of it's the swing strike rate highest it's ever been. Strikeout rate highest it's ever been. So the the bounce back to what the numbers in this case point to a two seventy six three fifty three four sixty three line if you're using the bat X, but a two fifty six three thirty three four ten. If you're looking at zips two pretty extreme projections yeah, and
1: i don't even know why because the bat it must be a regression thing because uh in terms of like what um how much previous information each system uses or whatever because the current uh stat cast numbers for, for for turner are not good
2: no uh, I, i'd be more inclined to expect the zips projection the rest of the way given the age given these factors all being trending in the wrong direction for for Justin Turner. So hopefully that was uh, insightful and helpful in some way. If you have those players, if you're thinking about trading for those players, if you have guys in similar situations, you can kind of diagnose what might be happening and adjust expectations. Consider selling low in some cases. Consider going out and making a move in a few others. I want to talk about the roster shrink fallout here real quick. I think the simple question I have for you is when you're looking in – in a deep dynasty league or AL-only league or a league where there's almost no quality players available on the waiver wire, if Willie Calhoun gets his wish and he gets traded out of Texas to a team that has playing time available, Oakland, you know, whatever, are you interested? Based on what you've seen, we had an email about Calhoun before this move happened that was pointing to some of his underlying numbers and his x stats not being nearly as bad. As his actual surface numbers, so do you think do you think we should still be intrigued by Willie Calhoun if playing time opens up for him and he gets a fresh start somewhere else? I mean,
1: I love the fact that he makes a lot of contact and sometimes it's powerful. I like that the max a v is is over one ten, so you know he's got some raw power. It's just a little bit concerning to me like if he he needs an opportunity, well, you know who needs good outfielders, Texas Rangers. Right. He needs a, a really good hitting coach to work with him. Well, you know who has a really, really good hitting coach? Come on, Texas Rangers. So I don't know, man. There's something um something I don't I don't like about this situation, but just the fact that he has a, a great strikeout rate and has exhibited some, some power in the past in some of those leagues, it
2: would be enough for me to pick him up, yeah. I mean, it's Grishamy. it's an 18.1 percent O swing percentage, easily the best of his career. More walks than ever, low K rate again. He's done that forever. And you look at some of the underlying numbers, the barrel rate is still just not there. Hard hit rates, it's okay, weird because but he's hitting good. fly balls, but yeah,
1: he's not hitting the fly balls hard enough to be barrels, or is he popping those up? Like, what is going on there? It's a, it's a strange approach. I think there, I think I would bet I'd be willing to bet that there's something going on mechanically and that maybe he works with somebody you know on his own time and you know there's been some conflict between what he hears from the organization and what he hears from his own coach. I mean this is that' I'm not, I'm not putting this on Willie Calhoun because of anything that he anything he's exhibited. I'm just saying that that happens a lot in baseball. Like that is if you see someone uh, that's consistently struggling, sometimes it's because they're really, you know, sticking with their 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 guy that they have their coach, their hitting coach um, and not really listening to the organizational one. So maybe there's uh, different voices in in Willie Calhoun's head <laughs> uh, that are pulling him in different directions and it's not working. But uh, I guess, you know. This is probably not a great moment, uh, and this might be a, an awakening moment. Maybe the next place he goes, he he says, "All right, you know, do what you will with me. Tell me what to do mechanically. I've got to do. I got to clean something up," because he has a great eye at the plate. He makes a lot of contact, and that's something I would bet on.
2: Yeah, and there are plenty of other teams that are giving players opportunities that I don't see as much in as I can see in Willie Calhoun. Best example: Christian Bethencourt. Uh, getting DH and first base opportunities in Oakland doesn't make any sense to me. If, if, if they said, we're the team, we want Willie Calhoun, and we're just going to let him play, and we're going to let him hit. Okay, I understand. I, I understand why you'd take that chance. There's still to be enough exciting things in that profile. Um, the other big fallout thing, Robinson Cano getting DFA'd it doesn't have that much of a fantasy impact, so we'll probably put that more on the the three zero rundown for, for Wednesday. But I think... Josh Lowe going down, I think it comes back to a question that I've I've kicked around on the athletic baseball show a few times, and it's it's that I I don't know what you learn as a hitter when you come up in the big leagues, you spend twenty games at the highest level, and you have issues, like Josh Lowe did, 38% K rate, that's a problem. Uh you talked about a guy that had a 78 WRC plus. Many of the players we just talked about, more established guys, had worse stretches to start the season than Josh Lowe did but he gets optioned down as uh, the rosters shrunk after Sunday's games how do you look at this and say okay how like when is he ready to come back that's that's the thing I don't quite understand I think the the concern I would have had about Josh Lowe and I took him a few places as a late flyer was that he struck out 26.2 percent of the time last year at triple a and A pitching last year was as bad as it's been in a long time because of all the injuries at the big league level or thinning out the quality of the pitching at the A level. Even in that context, you talk about a guy who was 40% better than a league average hitter, showed power, showed patience, and he was amazing stealing bases too, 26 for 26, which isn't going to help you if you don't get on base at the big league level. But I, I just don't know what the Rays are hoping he can fix going back to Durham.
1: Yeah, and the eye poured it over. Like you know, he's he's not chasing balls at the major league level either. It may not show up in an amazing uh, walk rate, but he he showed an excellent eye. Uh, He you know he hit a couple balls hard. I I I, I think this is more maybe the Rays saying, you know, we are looking at the standings and we need to put our best team on the field in the major league level. More than it is about his future and what's what's necessarily best for his future because I do I do think that it would be best for him to struggle at the major league level this is we are talking about this is Matt Brash too Matt Brash's command is not great he just had a really bad outing now two outings in a row where he's walked too many people can't can't find the plate I don't know that he's for his development it's going to be better for him to go to the minor leagues because in the minor leagues He's not going to get that feedback as much. He can throw it hard towards the middle of the zone, and his natural command won't be any better. And then he come back up and not want to throw it to the heart of the zone because there's major league hitters on the plate. You know what I mean? Mm. So like, there's a there's. I would rather that he stuck it out of the major league level and found places, in, you know, in the in the zone that he can live. And that's basically what he's looking for. Um, and for Lowe, I think that. Over time, if you gave him... I think it's Lau. If you gave him more time... Uh, or is it Brandon Lau and Josh Lowe? That's right. Yes. That's it. Okay. I think for <laughs> Lowe, if you just gave him more time, you would get you get some more hard-hit balls, and you know he would he would settle in. But
2: I think it came down to a choice between Josh Lowe and Brett Phillips. Harold Ramirez? But Ramirez is at least performing in this limited role. I think Brett Phillips seems like one of the most genuinely fun people in the big leagues. I... I feel mean anytime I suggest that Brett Phillips maybe shouldn't be on the Rays' roster.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know. But I I look at, at what he's done, and I know it was double-digit homers and steals last year in that kind of part-time role. He had a 38.7% K rate last year. He's close to 40% this year. He's swinging pitches outside the zone more than ever. Josh Lowe, to me, is just a better player right now than Brett Phillips is. So I think you had to run the risk of possibly losing Phillips maybe they did not want to do that right now with everyone churning their roster maybe they're going to do it in a couple of weeks and see if they can sneak them through later
1: it's 100% that it's that Harold Ramirez and Brett Phillips don't have options so if you are if you would move on from either one of them you would lose them you right. have
2: to you'd have to DFA them look they know what they're doing they're smart they manage their roster really well so it's just giving themselves more time to get something back that they might be able to get for someone else probably it might have as much to do with that as it does or, or timing like you said
1: like i know that farhan zaidi does this out here where he makes claims at certain times and he ends up dFAing the guy like three weeks later but sometimes it's just that he hopes that he can keep them on his on his roster because he's he's gotten out of some finicky part of a part of the rostering season you know what i mean there are mm-hmm. times when you have to like like this moment is a finicky moment for everybody around the league because they had to get it down the major league roster down to 26. Um, So if you could claim someone now or not release someone like the Rays are right, not release someone now, then maybe they could DFA Brett Phillips in, you know, a month and there's not as much roster upheaval around the league and not as many people would claim him and they get to keep him in their minor league organization. Maybe that's the
2: thinking. I just think this goes back to a, a structural flaw that baseball still needs to figure out that the best players aren't necessarily on the roster. Mm -hmm. the mechanics of how the rosters work shouldn't lead to a situation where you're actively choosing the lesser of two players because you can have your cake and eat it too by sending one player down and not sending the other player down like that. That doesn't feel right to me. So we'll see Josh Lowe again soon. He might play a lot. I think the problem for us as fantasy players, if you're in a mixed league, you probably can't hold him because it might be a few weeks and that's a zero and you need Someone else to produce, so it's a, a drop now, and try and pick them up again later, if and when that situation opens up the the way that we'd like it to. Got one mailbag question that I will squeeze in for this show. We'll roll the other ones over to Thursday, but it's a model versus results question from Frank. Frank's a, a new listener to the show and a subscriber based on uh, the work we do here. So thank you for, for subscribing to the Athletic, Frank, theathletic dot slash rates and barrels dollar a month. If you don't have a subscription right now. He's curious as to our opinion of Joe Ryan on the Twins. He had a great start to the season, but his stuff, location, and pitching, plus information look underwhelming. Just Frank wants to know, is he using the data correctly? Is he missing something, or is Joe Ryan a sell-high candidate? So I, I kick it over to you first. Eno. What do you make of Joe Ryan and the gap between results so far in the big leagues and what the model tells us about his ability?
1: There's 100% something that the model is missing uh, on Joe Ryan, which is his deception. And there's some deception in the model as it stands because we have things like seam shifted wake in the model and we have things uh, like release point in the model. So people that throw weird pitches from weird release points are, you know, are loved by this model. But Joe Ryan does something that we cannot capture because it has to do with the way his limbs come through when he pitches, His he leads with his elbow um, so that pitchers, hitters can't see where the ball is and then the ball pops up. And then on top of that, uh, he does have some things uh, that the model does capture in terms of like his height, his release point, and the way his fastball has ride on it. Um, you know, he does have some, some good things going for him. Um, but, uh, I would say that, uh, just ride it just enjoy it. I, I think sometimes when there's a huge outlier, uh, with the model, there's either something the model doesn't understand yet. um, Eric Lauer comes to mind. Uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't sh- show that well in the model, um, and he's and he, you know the traditional metric that you would look for right now uh, that's useful otherwise is strikeouts minus walks, and and Lauer's killing it there. So um, I think if, if someone has a great strikeout minus walk rate and a poor pitching plus, then uh, feel free to, to to ride it and enjoy it. Uh, if someone has a poor pitching plus. And a poor strikeout minus walk rate like a Cal Quantrill, uh, I would call them more of a sell high because that's those are the two most powerful metrics I have in my toolbox: strikeout minus walk rate and uh, and pitching plus. And Cal doesn't do well there.
2: Yeah, Dakota Hudson is a name that popped for me oh. as someone who's just like dreadful in the model, getting great results. And I know it's actually, so there's there's a guy like Dakota Hudson, a guy that I watch all the time that seems to be a bit of a, a mystery, a riddle, Adrian Hauser. Yes. Like there's, there's something Power about, sinker. yeah, they, they both have sub 20% K rates. They have walk rates above 10%. Uh, Hudson gets more ground balls consistently, at least he has this year, but in the past, Adrian Hauser has been basically the same profile guy and everyone bets against this profile and it seems to work Better than expected.
1: Hey man, I even uh, picked up Dakota Hudson in one league for the two star <laughs> week this week. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like just uh, like I'm not just you know people. I don't live in my spreadsheets. You know, I don't it's not the only piece of information. I don't just look at pitching plus, and that's how I make decisions. I, sometimes I do the, the relievers. Um, you know, it's been very good to me this year with relievers but uh with starters i think there's just more going on how the how things fit together I, you know no model is going to nail it completely i will say that a 53% ground ball rate and 18% strikeout rate and 11% walk weight for hudson mm, something something's not working here <laughs> like, something has to go yeah <laughs> right like either he has to stop walking guys or start striking out more or my guys out or he's going to he's going to allow more uh He's going to allow more balls in play. Like he's a one eighty babbitt. But like
2: he also doesn't throw hard. Adrian Hauser at least throws kind of hard. That's right. He's a power sinker. Hudson's that's not Hudson's power. averaging ninety two on his fastball. Like that's so strange to me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just I would say that
1: I use it as a guide. I use it as a, a good way to find uh, sleepers, and uh, you know when it's when it is completely uh out of whack with what's happening in the results sometimes even i pick up da- dakota hudson for a two starter but if he burns me if he burns me whoo you never seen someone get dropped so fast
2: <laughs> yeah i've got him a couple places too so <laughs> i i'm i'm concerned i'm concerned that i had to do it but i'm Chasing some volume a little bit, hoping to sneak in a couple of wins and, and maybe like 7Ks over two starts. That's about the best case scenario I think I can hope for from Dakota Hudson. But no, uh, you're not using the model incorrectly, Frank. Joe Ryan is a bit of a unicorn, perhaps, as we're, we're learning here. Curious to see what the next month or so brings, though, as teams get more and more looks at him, too. Because I think the thing about deception is that it might not be as effective over time. It might be one of those things that has an immediate peak, and immediate value, and then the value sort of wanes that's, that's what I worry about because my comp
1: for him is Uzumir Petit Uzumir Petit does the same thing where he leads with his elbow if you can see on YouTube he's like he leads with his elbow you can't see the ball and then it pops up at release and uh, Uzumir Petit had the worst third time through the order penalty I've ever seen and immediately his, the teams that did make good advantage of, of him in his career were like you will never ever ever see a lineup a third time again and so how I look how much value Petit has had. I'm not saying that Ryan is not valuable, but uh, you know, his viable viability as a starter, especially one that might see a lineup a third time is is gonna that's what I'm watching over the next few months.
2: Yep, well. He's definitely one of the more intriguing pitchers in the pool right now, just based on the gap between what you see and what is actually happening in the results. If you've got a question for a future episode, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com is the best way to reach us. You can find us on Twitter. He's at Enoceros. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can also drop questions under this video on YouTube. Be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. If you have a moment to leave us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would greatly appreciate that as well. We get to the pitcher side of the What's Wrong With Blank series coming up on Thursday.